VOA, the science edition of Press Conference USA. Here's your host, Rick Pantaleo. Welcome to the science edition of Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. I'm Rick Pantaleo. According to the Center for Ocean Atmospheric Prediction Studies at Florida State University, extreme weather includes the unexpected, unusual, unpredictably severe or unseasonal weather that has been seen in the past. From devastating hurricanes, tornadoes, heavy rain and flooding to extreme heat and wildfires, localities around the world have been hit hard by a series of extreme weather events over this past summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Scientists with the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently released a report called Climate Change 2021, The Physical Science Basis. The report finds that changes in the world's climate are extensive, swift, and intensifying. According to the report, researchers are finding human-generated climate change is already affecting many weather and climate extremes in every region around the world. The IPCC report provided evidence that observed changes in extremes, such as heat waves, heavy precipitation, droughts, and tropical cyclones due to human influence. The study found that these phenomenon have strengthened since the fifth assessment report was released in 2014. Today, we'll learn about extreme weather events and their possible connection with climate change and global warming. My guest for today's program is Dr. Jenny Evans. She is a professor of meteorology and atmospheric science at Penn State University, director of the Penn State Institute for Computational and Data Sciences, and the past president of the American Meteorological Society. Dr. Evans, there have been reports, especially over this past summer, of extreme weather events. How do you define and describe extreme weather? So... Extreme weather is what it sounds like. So it may be a hurricane or a wildfire, but it could be also a drought or a flood and potentially even something what that sounds innocuous like a big fog or icing event. Whenever it really impacts people's lives, that's what I would call extreme weather. And uh, I understand this over the past summer, we have had several extreme weather events. I'm thinking about the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. I'm thinking about all the wildfires on the West Coast of the U.S. And I understand there was a lot of flooding in Europe this past summer. Can you talk about that a little bit? So in Germany, there was a massive flooding event this year, um, rainfall that was unprecedented that resulted in flash flooding and tens of people drowning. The emergency services had lots of plans, but this was so unusual that they didn't have something to deal with that. And even if they had, things happened so quickly that they may not have been able to uh, do anything about what ultimately happened. So that's definitely extreme weather, devastating to many people. In terms of the California fires, you've certainly seen tons going on there. Um, the typhoon season in the Pacific Northwest, already we have um, at least 29 systems, which is quite a lot, even for that part of the globe. Uh, 29 depressions, you know, we've had two super typhoons at this, case, at this stage, which is clearly devastating. 
And then in Africa, just recently, I believe in Algeria, there've been also some devastating fires and also tens of people killed. It's really all around the globe. And not to forget, of course, Hurricane Ida that made landfall in Louisiana 16 years to the day after Hurricane Katrina devastated that region. And what are some of the contributing factors that can turn a normal weather event into an extreme weather event? The atmosphere just works. (laughs) I don't want to say in mysterious ways. That's a little bit of a cop-out. But the atmosphere can do that. I mean, we get many, many sort of mild events, and now and then things come together in a way that creates these extremes. We know, for example, that cold water, so water below about 25 Celsius, we typically don't see tropical cyclones of any kind, typhoon, hurricane, whatever the local name is, they're all tropical cyclones. And as the water gets warmer than that, we see them and we see more more of them. And when the water gets extremely warm is when we have the opportunity to get very extreme hurricanes. This is my area of research in particular. Now, hurricanes in and of themselves can be devastating as we've seen with Ida and I think it's called Surigay in the Western North Pacific but they can also be devastating as Ida was in the northeast of the U.S. this year and as Sandy was in 2012 in the northeast of the U.S. and that's when you get a hurricane and it interacts with another weather system. Now, you can't predict that at the start of the season or something like that. That's really weather. That's two storms that just come together in just the right or wrong way, depending on where you're living and and your perspective, to create that massive rain event that hits the northeast of the US. And Japan is particularly susceptible in the Western North Pacific as well to these events. And um, in the South Indian Ocean, Reunion Island is also has these events. What do you consider to be the most deadliest types of extreme weather events? Can you give us some examples? Pretty much every region of the globe has their own, right? So I don't know if you call wildfire an extreme weather event, but having a drought that creates that very dry situation when there's already enough tinder, enough vegetation sets you up so that if you get a a thunderstorm and a lightning strike, the weather's all combined to create this wildfire, which is then a a biological event. Uh, Blizzards, of course, are others, hurricanes, typhoons, flooding, just a regular flooding event can happen from you know, a large organized thunderstorm, group of thunderstorms. Each of these is extreme in its own way, and each of these we'll see many, many, many times. And, you know, they're troublesome or, you know, they are inconvenient, except a wildfire. That's never just troublesome. But then there are the times when they're devastating, and that's our extreme weather events. Dr. Evans, can you give us your insight into how extreme weather events can impact the nation's stability? 
There are a number of ways. So social scientists look at stability of countries to stresses, if you like, and a stressor isn't something small. So say you have a food, food shortage or you don't have healthy water supply or you have some kind of a major health crisis or you have a major weather system, each of those things separately puts a stress on a particular community, on a society. It depends, you know, and this is whether it's a small region or a large region. If you have two of them together, then that's really going to shake you up. I mean, if you have trouble with your water supply and you have a disease outbreak, that's devastating. You know, the expectation or the conclusion from scholars working in this area is if you have three things operating together. So maybe you have a flood and that may devastate, that may pollute the water supply and that may result in some kind of a fever outbreak. But that can really lead almost to the breakdown of the community that's suffering from that combination of, of tragedy. And so that can really destabilize nations. And, you know, some people think that that kind of a combination is what led to the Arab Spring. So droughts causing people to leave their homes. And then in that case, it was not just natural events. It was a combination of natural and political and social that some people have hypothesized led to at least some of the events in the Arab Spring. Dr. Evans, if you don't mind, let's talk about different types of extreme weather events and examples of how and where they have affected the most people. Uh, Topping the list here is drought. Talk to me about extreme drought. Okay, well, uh, my country, Australia, is very aware of extreme drought. You know, many places are, but where I grew up when I was a child, we had such a stress on our water supply that we weren't allowed to flush the toilet, that we had to take our bath water and use it to water the garden. And, you know, you couldn't wash your car. Things that in Western society you might think of as normal, you weren't able to do. And so the government increased the water supply, the dams and so on enormously. Well, then came the big dry, which was the first decade of the 21st century, which was a decade-long drought in Australia. And that devastated farms, farmers. It put a massive stress on even people in the cities, but that some of the river systems, in particular the Murray-Darling River, became so stressed that there were major fish kills, fish just dying from the water being so inhospitable to their survival. So drought is something that's that's something I've lived with. Dr. Evans, uh, extreme heat, I understand that at least here in the United States, this past summer was one of the hottest summers in history. Tell us about extreme heat. We're finding more and more years uh, where we're hitting these extremes in heat. And in the US, of course, it's been devastating. But let me go back to Europe, in fact. I believe it was last year. It was last year or the year before last, where there were temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius in Northern Europe, which is just 
I don't know about unheard. Well, some of it was unheard of. There were records being broken. And the issue there is, of course, this is incredibly hot, but there are many places around the world that experience this kind of heat, at least occasionally. But in Paris and in the other cities in the region, they don't have air conditioning and they don't have the kind of cross-flow ventilation in many of the apartments and people aren't used to this kind of heat. And so a lot of people died just from being unable to escape the heat. So extreme is depends on what you're used to. And, and that was a situation where extreme heat was a real killer. Dr. Ravens, over the past couple of winters, I can remember a number of occasions when weather forecasters were calling for extreme cold during the winter and something called polar vortices entered the uh, lexicon of weather people. Tell us about extreme cold and these polar vortices that have an impact on temperatures uh, around the world. Yeah, so polar vortices are weather systems that become stable in the polar region. And by stable, they're not moving around a lot and they're getting colder and colder. These, as we've seen, can cause some devastating extreme cold events. These are more familiar in Antarctica the stability of them, the location of them is more familiar in Antarctica because you've got this great landmass to kind of keep the weather systems anchored because the difference in temperature between the land and the ocean is one of the sources of energy that this kind of weather system feeds off. So the extreme cold in the Arctic created something like that that led to these polar vortices in the northern hemisphere. Dr. Evans, what would you tell a person who is denying climate change and global warming when they say when we have these examples or these periods of extreme cold that they're saying they're they're doubting climate change by saying, I thought we were having global warming, then why is it so cold? Because the globe doesn't operate all in the same way. So when there was extreme flooding in Germany, there wasn't extreme flooding in the US and no one was surprised at that. So things happen around the globe in different ways, all on the same day or at different times of the year. So the fact that it's cold in one area doesn't negate the fact that overall the entire globe is getting warmer. In fact, there are folks who think that as the globe warms, the Gulf Stream may change. And the, the computer modeling suggests that what might happen is the Gulf Stream won't flow as far north as it does now. So it goes, the Gulf Stream becomes called the North Atlantic Current. And the North Atlantic Current extends up towards Britain and Scandinavia. And those regions are warmer than they would be without that current extending so far north. So if that current doesn't go that far north anymore, as the globe warms, those particular countries may actually get colder. So there's an example of, you know, part of the world getting colder when the world overall gets much warmer. Let's take a break now. This is the science edition of Press Conference USA. Today, we're talking about extreme weather events and their possible connections with climate change and global warming. 
I'd like to remind you that Press Conference USA is available for free download from our website, voanews.com slash PCUSA, and from many streaming services such as Apple Podcasts. We also hope you'll get in touch with us through either Facebook at VOA Current Affairs or at Facebook and Twitter at Carol Castiel VOA. You can just send us an email to PCUSA at VOANews.com. Be sure to listen to our other VOA Current Affairs programs like Encounter and Issues in the News. On Encounter, Carol Castiel and her expert guests talk about the pros and cons of expanding the U.S. Supreme Court. On Issues in the News, Kim Lewis and her panel of journalists discuss the top news stories of the week, including the appearance of U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Let's continue with the science edition of Press Conference USA. Today, we're talking about extreme weather events and their possible connections with climate change and global warming. My guest is Dr. Jenny Evans. She is professor of meteorology and atmospheric science at Penn State University, director of the Penn State University for Computational and Data Sciences, and the past president of the American Meteorological Society. Dr. Evans, before the break, you were talking about weather phenomena such as the Gulf Stream. Let's talk about natural influences on the weather such as the El Nino Southern Oscillation, various ocean and air currents like the Gulf Stream and jet streams. In recent years, have any of these weather phenomena changed? What kind of effect will they have on weather? And could these changes be attributed to climate change? I'm pausing on this one because... What you're asking is so complicated, really, because of how things interact with each other. The El Nino depends on how intense the El Nino is, what its effects are around the globe. So a very intense El Nino will have impact in Southern California and even in Colorado, but a weaker system won't have any impacts there at all. And El Nino is a change of the ocean, surface ocean water temperatures. And so it's called El Nino because off the coast of South America in the Pacific, if you get warmer water there, which is what we call an El Nino, then that changes the kinds of uh, fisheries available to the people living there. And it changes the entire weather patterns there and across the Pacific Ocean. Um, the opposite of that is a La Nina where things are like we think of as normal, but more intense the other way. So then the Southern Oscillation is how the atmosphere responds. So if you hear ENSO, that's El Nino, the ocean piece, Southern Oscillation, the atmosphere piece, and the oceans and atmosphere work together. So you can see already the ocean and atmosphere working together, and this is on a time scale of two years to seven years, depending on how, you know, the El Ninos evolve. So all of this is already complex. We have seen El Ninos change over the last century, but that's all happening on top of what we see in terms of global warming. So things change from year to year, and that can be affected by the El Nino, it can be affected by various other 
shifts in the large patterns around the globe. And then on top of that, we're seeing global warming changing the underlying atmosphere and ocean structure. Dr. Evans, you mentioned the Gulf Stream and the impact that it has on weather systems, not only here in America, but also in Europe. And there have been various reports saying that the Gulf Stream seems to be winding down a bit, and there's a possibility that sometime in the future it could stop altogether. Now, what kind of effect could people expect of the weather should this happen? I don't think we think it will stop altogether, but I did mention before that it would slow up and it wouldn't go as far north. There are some reasons to expect just from the, when we make a weather forecast, we have basically, we take the equation, Newton's equation, force equals mass times acceleration. And we know all the forces on the atmosphere, so we can make a forecast from that. And by knowing those equations and knowing how the ocean works, we know that the Gulf Stream won't disappear altogether. But we also know that it is susceptible to all the things that we're seeing. So it may change a lot. If it doesn't go as far north, then not only will Britain and Scandinavia become colder, but the climate will likely change up in New England and in the Canadian Maritimes and again, likely become colder. In terms of what happens further south, it may end up having warmer water off the southeast of the US, which may, and may's in capital letters there because we're thinking down a long list of of, uh, reactions, cause either more hurricanes near land or perhaps stronger hurricanes near land. Dr. Evans, a recent report from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they issued a report suggesting that weather extremes due to human influence has strengthened since its last review in 2014. They report it's especially so for heat waves, heavy downpours, droughts, and hurricanes. Can you please provide us with your insight into the IPCC report and its findings regarding weather extremes? The IPCC is an amazing, I don't want to say organization because it's not as strong as that. It's an amazing endeavor where scientists from all around the globe come together to reflect on the most recent reliable research to understand what's happening to the climate. And by reliable, what I mean is that the research has been vetted has been reviewed by many, many people before it was published. And people have to argue about, if I see this and you see that, do they make sense together, right? So this is a massive endeavor with hundreds of scientists involved. And with that degree of investment of time and resources and and intellectual energy, these people come up with three reports over a period of a few years. The one that just got released is on the physics, on how the climate changes. And then there's a net. The second one is how the natural systems, so how the ecology, biology, and so on, respond to those changes. And then the third one is the social systems. 
And so together they take us from what are we doing to the atmosphere to what does it mean to people. This time around, the people studying the impacts on the atmosphere, on the oceans, on ice, so we call that the cryosphere, all concluded that the things we're seeing overall wouldn't happen in the way we're seeing them now if people hadn't been polluting, essentially, emitting carbon dioxide, methane, chlorofluorocarbons, and so forth. And uh, one question that I'm curious to hear your response to is people tend to confuse weather with climate. Can you please define and differentiate between the two? So it's kind of like climate is the effect of all of the weather, if you like. Yeah, I guess that's really it. So you experience weather every day. So in winter, you'll get weather systems, you'll get really cold events day after day after day. And when we look at that, we'll say that is the effect of the climate, right? Now, if winter doesn't, is no longer as cold as it used to be, we say that's a shift in the climate because we're not getting as many really cold weather events. So you can't have climate without weather. Dr. Evans, surely extreme weather events are something that have not originated recently. Are there examples of extreme weather in the past? Can you give us some examples of historic extreme weather? Oh, my goodness. Yes, many examples. Going back into the 20s and 30s, Florida was hit by two devastating hurricanes. The in actually in the 1600s there's evidence of a hurricane making landfall in maine and this was this event was reconstructed by a historian in maine um, looking at weather systems and diaries and other records to show that there was a ship of pilgrims well of, of emigrants i guess that had landed in Maine and they were intending to set up a colony. But the night after they landed, the ship sank in a major storm. So that changed the course of history in Maine. Kublai Khan was going to invade Japan because the Japanese, according to him, hadn't been sufficiently deferential. And he sent an armada of ships to invade Japan and a typhoon sank them. So some years later, he decided to send another armada, but instead of sending everyone from the same location, worrying about a typhoon, he sent them from multiple locations to converge on Japan, and another typhoon sank them. So there's another place where extreme weather changed the course of history. And finally, Dr. Evans, do you have any advice on how we can prepare for and survive extreme weather events? If you're in a region that's and there's a hurricane or typhoon or other event like that approaching the coast and you're told to evacuate, you leave. We say run from the water and hide from the wind. You only hide from the wind if you know your house is strong enough. But the water's going to flood and you're not going to, you know, the likelihood of you surviving a, a flood with intense winds is just not something I'd be willing to take a chance on. So if you're told to evacuate, evacuate. If your house isn't isn't damaged, then you were lucky and you just thank your lucky stars. And if it is, 
then you avoided a tragedy by leaving. In terms of wildfires in Australia, they say after a certain point, they say evacuate, leave now. And you're always told to keep your medication, know where your pets are, um, anything that you would be devastated if you lost. So, you know, family heirlooms or um, other things. And of course, know exactly where your family are and be ready to evacuate ahead of a fire. Um, and two years ago, summer 2019, um, there were people in Australia standing on the beach watching the fire come all the way up to the road at the top of the beach. I never want to be in that situation. So be prepare as well as you can and listen to the people who are trying to help and, and take them at their word. Dr. Jenny Evans, I want to thank you so much for taking time to join us today to talk to us about extreme weather. You're, you're uh, quite welcome, Rick. It was great to chat with you. That was Dr. Jenny Evans. She is Professor of Meteorology and Atmospheric Science at Penn State University, Director of the Penn State Institute for Computational and Data Sciences, and the past president of the American Meteorological Society. And that's all the time we have for this science edition of Press Conference USA. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the discussion on extreme weather events and its possible connections with climate change and global warming. This is Rick Pantaleo reminding you to join Carol Castiel next week for another Press Conference USA on The Voice of America.